0: to the book of Luke, chapter 4, Luke chapter 4, uh, that's on page 859 if you have one of those black hardcover Bibles. Luke chapter 4, we're going to read verses 1 through 4. Uh, go ahead and stand up as you, uh, as you turn there. And uh, we do that just to honor uh, the scripture, to remind ourselves that this is God's word. Um, I'll read verses 1 through 4 and, and you can follow along as we read. And that's Luke chapter 4, verses 1 through 4, page 859. And Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the wilderness for 40 days, being tempted by the devil. And he ate nothing during those days. And when they were ended, he was hungry. The devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, command this stone to become bread. And Jesus answered him, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone. That's God's word. You can be seated. This is week two for us of this series, Building a Stronger Church. And uh, what we looked at last week as we kicked it off is we looked at, at the, the couple of instances. There were only a couple times that the Bible records that Jesus Christ marveled couple of moments, if you look at the whole life of Christ, a lot of people marveled when they saw things he did, but, but only a couple of moments where it says that Jesus himself marveled. And both instances had to do with his response to someone's faith. In one instance, he saw a man with tremendous faith, and it says he marveled at it and said, man, I've never seen someone with faith like this. Another instance, he saw a lack of faith. He went to his hometown, and, and they didn't think anything of him, and he marveled at their lack of faith. And we asked the question, what is it about faith that so gets Jesus' attention? And essentially, the answer was that faith really is about trust, right? Faith is not primarily about just intellectual beliefs, it's about trust. And, And the reason that Jesus focuses on this issue of faith or trust is because trust is the centerpiece of every great relationship. Every great relationship in your life has at its core deep trust. Every wavy, breaking, broken relationship, what happened there is is something happened or a number of things happened to weaken that trust. You get that? And so Jesus is so intense. Jesus is so focused on us having trust in him because Jesus wants us to have a relationship with him. Jesus is not fundamentally trying us to get us to just do the right things or obey the rules. He wants a relationship. And so that's what gets his attention. And so what we want to do in this series is we want to help deepen your trust. Because the stronger a person's faith is, the stronger their trust is, the deeper their relationship with God can grow. And as we think about what Jesus might do to build us into an even stronger church, we realize that what will make us a stronger church is each person's faith, each person's trust deepening. So that's what this series is. We're just going to look at a number of things that, that help uh, provoke you to trust God in a deeper way. So this week we'll look at, at, we're kind of this week and next, we're looking at what is it to be close to the Lord. We're gonna look today at some things that, that really draw you and push you close to the Lord. We're gonna look next week at fighting the things that keep you and, and make you kind of distant from him, namely sin. Then we'll look at generosity and how our relation to our possessions, how that helps identify and build our trust. We'll look at our ownership in a local church, and we'll look at the, being part of the, the goal that Jesus had for his people, how, how all of that works together. We'll also have some times where we really challenge you. Um, we're going to tell you more next week about a, a 24-hour prayer thing that we're going to challenge you to have a part in and to take a slice of. We're going to challenge you in the area of finances. So there's going to be some real Opportunities to take some risk and to grow, and that's what we want this series to be about. Um, we're going to look today at Luke chapter 4. That's what we read just a moment ago. Uh, but to, to kind of introduce this or set this up, there's something about Jesus, there's something that Jesus does if you kind of watch and observe his life in the, in the four Gospels that um, might strike you as strange. Or at least you notice that it's something he does. And uh, on one hand, it's something that you might expect any religious person to do. But on the other hand, in light of the fact that Jesus is God, right, he's fully man and fully God, it kind of strikes you as odd, perhaps, that he commits so much of himself to this one particular activity. Let me just show you a number of verses. You'll figure out pretty quickly what, what he was so committed to, what he did that to me seems kind of strange. Matthew 14, 23, this is after Jesus fed the 5,000 people. He says, after he had dismissed the crowds, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone, Luke six twelve. In these days, he went out to the mountain to pray, and all night he continued in prayer to God. Luke 5, 15 through 16. But now even more, the report about him went abroad, and great crowds gathered to hear him and to be healed of their infirmities, but he would withdraw to desolate places and pray. Mark 1, 35. And rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place, and there he prayed. Luke 11, 1. Now Jesus was praying in a certain place. And when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples. You figured it out, didn't you? What's the thing that Jesus constantly did? He did it by himself, and he did it overnight, and he did it early in the morning, and sometimes he did it around people, and even when other people said, hey, we need more of you, we need more of your time, we need more of your attention. What did Jesus commit himself to? Prayer. Now, again, on one hand, you go, well, yeah, he's... He, He's a spiritual religious teacher, you'd expect him to pray. But we don't believe that, that Jesus is just a religious teacher. Jesus claimed to be God. Jesus rose from the dead proving that he was God. And so if Jesus is God, why does he need to pray? I mean you kind of think, can't he just do his God stuff to like, like what does he need help with? What does he need assistance for? And why does he need wisdom? He's God. Well, this passage that we're going to look at here in Luke 4 gives us, here's what it gives us. It gives us an insight into how Jesus thought about things. And this insight, if you, if you have the same kind of conviction that Jesus had, you'll, you'll see why it drove him to pray. Okay, so Luke chapter 4, verse 1. It says, and Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the wilderness for 40 days, being tempted by the devil. Now, we want to pause there for just a moment on a few verses, a few phrases there in verse 1. And Jesus, it says, full of the Holy Spirit. Now, this is an important reality. The, The writer Luke here, he wants us to know... And he emphasizes a lot that Jesus was not doing his ministry in the power of his divinity, but he was doing it fully human in his humanity filled with the Spirit. And the way we know that is Luke emphasizes a lot through this book, and and Luke writes the book of Luke, and he writes Acts. Acts is clearly about the work of the people of God through the Holy Spirit, but part one, the book of Luke, is the same thing. Luke wants you to know. Here's how we think: we read the things and we see what Jesus does, and we see all the miracles and we see all this stuff, and we imagine that somehow under his robe, Jesus has blue tights and a red S on his chest and a cape. Right? And, and so he looks human, but he's really just doing all this God stuff. And so we often dismiss what Jesus does. Oh, he's God. If I were God, I'd be able to do that too. But, but Luke wants you to know what he's about to do. And what he's about to do is stare down the devil and resist his temptation in his moment of absolute weakness. And Luke wants you to know that he's not able to do that because he's God, though he is. He is God. He's able to do that because he's full of the Holy Spirit, dependent on the Lord. And that right there begins to be a clue as to why Jesus would spend so much time in prayer. Because Jesus, though he's God, he's not leaning into his divinity, he's leaning into his humanity and constantly saying, I need help. I need help. And Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan, then get this, this seems interesting. And was led by the spirit in the wilderness for 40 days, being tempted by the devil. Now the wilderness of Israel that this is referring to would not be like flagstaff. It wouldn't be like, you know, big pine trees and stuff like that. It would be more like the superstition mountains. Very rugged, very arid, very dry. That's what the wilderness of Israel is like. Very rocky. And that's where he is. And he's there for 40 days to be tempted by the devil. It says he ate nothing during those days. So Jesus is, is in this moment of intense trial, of intense testing. And you think, how did this happen? And he says, because the Spirit led him there. You go wait, 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 wait. The Spirit led him there? Yes, the Spirit of God led him to be tested. Some of you are in a moment of testing right now in your life. You're looking at your job. You're looking at your career. You're looking at your housing or your financial situation. You're looking at something that's going on with a child. You're looking at your health, and you're thinking, God, where are you? Why am I experiencing this incredible test? Where are you? Could it be that the Lord has, in his grace, led you into that test? Because he knows that your faith is more precious than gold and it's refined by fire. The the impurities rise to the top and he's able to make you even more and more like him. Could it be that that's the case? Jesus is led into the wilderness by the Spirit for 40 days. And I love Luke's uh, blinding flash of the obvious here, right? And he ate nothing during those days. And when they were ended, he was hungry. (laughs) Okay. Thank you for that. Um, You know, most of us go like a few hours without food. And it's like, you know, it's like those Snickers commercials. Have you seen those with Joe Pesci? You're like, man, eat this. You're turning into a jerk right? Like that's that's kind of how we are. If you haven't seen those commercials, they're pretty funny. Um, Brazelton, though he's skinny, he likes to eat, man. And if you keep him away from food, he gets cranky. So do I, but it's more fun to pick on him. And that's how we are, right? And, and I've gone, um, I, I've fasted before. Um, fasting is the idea where you, you intentionally choose to not eat and you instead fill that time with prayer and reading the scripture and time with the Lord. I've done that, but but never for more than about a day. I know some people who have done that for a week or a month, or I, I have a friend even who's done 40 days, like what Jesus did. And I tell you, what, at the end of a day long fast, 24 hour fast, you're pretty dang hungry. And you're weak, right? And if you're ever in a place where you're tired and you're hungry and you're weak, don't you know how vulnerable you are? Especially vulnerable to temptation. Right, think about the things that tempt you, where when you're feeling energetic and you're feeling strong and your belly is full and you've had a good night's sleep and it's still tempting. And then imagine that you're in Superstition Mountain for a month and a half and you haven't eaten anything. How much more susceptible are you to that then? And now picture that it isn't just a temptation that's coming, but it's the devil himself. Right, this is the moment the devil's been waiting for. Right Back in Genesis chapter 3, he had convinced Adam and Eve, he'd said, did God really say you shouldn't eat from that tree? Do you really believe that God wants you to be happy? Because I don't think he does. And even in that moment, the Lord had, had promised that a Savior would come. In Genesis 3.15, our first account of the gospel, a promise that the Savior would come. And since that moment, the devil's been licking his chops. And here it comes, and here it is, mano e mano, him and Jesus. And Jesus is weak. He's got him right where he wants him, he thinks. Here's what he says. Verse 3. The devil said to him, if you are the son of God, right again, casting doubt, command this stone to become bread. Jesus, you're the son of God. You deserve to eat. It's an interesting temptation, isn't it? I mean, a little bit later, the the devil's going to say, bow down and worship me. And that feels like a very obvious, Jesus, don't do that. (laughs) That, That's sin. Don't don't worship Satan. Don't do that. But, But here, he's just saying, make that stone into bread. There's no commandment that says, thou shalt not make stones into bread. If you had that power, I think it would be kind of a nice party trick, right? You'd do that a lot. So what's the temptation here? The temptation is Satan is saying, Jesus, if you're really God, then use some of your God powers. Let's see that red S. And Enough with the whole, "I'm, I'm just a person relying on the Spirit. Don't rely on the Spirit, rely on yourself. That's what the temptation is. And what is Jesus' response? Jesus' response gives us a key not only to resisting temptation, but it gives us an understanding. It gives us an insight into why Jesus spent so much of the rest of his life after this praying. Here's his response, verse 4. And Jesus answered him, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone. He quotes from Deuteronomy 8, a passage that he's probably been thinking a lot about, right? He's hungry. He's hungry. And he's probably telling himself over and over, man doesn't live by bread alone. Man doesn't live by bread alone. Now if you read the whole rest of the verse, and Matthew records it as the, a quote, him quoting the whole verse, what Jesus says is, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Here's what Jesus is saying. Jesus is saying, I'm hungry for food, but my real food is the words of my Father. And if I have that I have enough. That's what Jesus is saying. That's my real food. I don't need, right, right? Food is important, right? You need it to live. Eventually you die without it. But Jesus is saying more important, more fundamental than food is my Father's words. We see another time where Jesus talks about how he, he sees doing his father's will like food. And, and in John chapter 4, he's had an encounter with a Samaritan woman. And the disciples have been uh, off, and they've been getting food. They're hungry. They've been getting lunch. And they come back, and, and they say, uh, Jesus, do you want something to eat? Do you want a sandwich? Do you, right, we, we went through the drive-thru. We got something for you. He's like, no, I've got food that you don't know anything about. And they're like, well, did you eat already? And here's what he says. My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. That's my food. You know what? I don't need a sandwich. Because what drives me is hearing my father's words and doing what he says. That's what I live for. That's what drives me. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. So why is it that Jesus constantly got away to be with his Father? It's because he needed the Holy Spirit, and he realized that that time with the Lord and doing what God wanted was his food. It was his sustenance. He could go a day without food. He could go a week without food. He could go 40 days without food, but not without God. What drives Jesus is a hunger for God. Here's the big idea. You've got to see this today if we want to understand where we're going, is that you always feed on what your heart sees as food. You always feed on what your heart sees as food. Whatever, and food here we mean, the thing that you have to have to live, the thing that you think tastes good, the thing you think satisfies you, the thing that if you don't have it, you'll die. You always get, you always pursue, you always eat what your heart thinks is food, right? Look no further than food, right? I mean, we... we, we think a lot during the day about well, where am I gonna eat how's lunch gonna happen? And and oh, do we need to go to the store and do you have any milk? And right, we think a lot about that, but but we don't have to think about n- never is the question, should I eat today? Nah, well no, maybe. I don't know, right? We don't think right? You're gonna eat. It's just a question of where and when and right? But it's never a question of if. And that's the reality, is because we see that as food. We're going to have it. And if we, and Jesus saw hearing from his father, doing his will as food, he was going to do it. That perspective, that hunger is what drove him. Right, there are other things, other hungers we have. Other things that we might consider as food. We go, i got to have this. And one of the ways to know whether you, you got to have something is, is where do you turn under pressure? Where do you turn when you're in the wilderness? Where do you turn when you're being tested? Where do you turn when you, I just need some comfort. I just need some relief. Where do you go? For some of us, our food is food. That's where you go. Some of you, the, the only reason you're even remotely interested in the Super Bowl today is food, right? I talked, I asked the guy yesterday, hey, what do you think is going to happen with the game? He goes, I think my chicken wings are going to be amazing, <laughs> Right? Right? And hopefully you ate before this or else all this mention of food is going to just make you really hungry. But um, if you want food, you, you'll get it. And, and many of us turn to food. Use food to, to numb pain. Use food as our comfort. Ignore the food of hearing from God in order to make sure i get, I got to have breakfast today. And we leave the Bible behind. So the food is one kind of food we have in our heart. Another is, is our relationships relationships are good food's good right all this stuff is good but but if 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 we live for relationships I got to have this I got to be connected to people I got to know what's going on I got to be in the loop right one way this is manifested for me is I'll have times where I'm in a difficult situation or I got something comes up I go man what should I do how should I handle that I need some wisdom And, and the scripture says that there's wisdom with many counselors but what I'll do sometimes is I'll go to the counselors first and not pray. When what I should do is go, Lord, I'm stuck here. Lord, I need wisdom. Lord, what do I do? And, and, and then go ask for someone else's help. But, but, one of the indi- but, but what I'm saying is I need, I need their advice. I need their input. It's saying what, what I can't live without is what they think. That means relationships are your food. For some of us, our food is feeling important got to feel important, got to feel needed, got to make sure my family knows I, I'm there for them, got to make sure my boss thinks that I'm really doing a great job. And so if you need to feel important, then, man, you pack your schedule full. You, you say yes to everything because you got to be important. You got to be in the center, right? You spend a lot of your day in the car. Anytime there's a yellow light, it's just, woo, I am going through it because I'm late everywhere I go because I have to be important. That's what is food for me. And I got a lot to do. I don't have time to pray and read the Bible. I got don't you know how important I am? Another kind of food that our hearts cling to. Information. Ooh, I need to know what's going on. What's going on in the world and politics and Mitt Romney's running for Senate? Ooh, I gotta know about that. And and hmm, sports and entertainment and here's the latest YouTube video, and oh, and I got to stay connected to my friends. What's going on in their world? What did they have for breakfast? I've got to know. <laughs> Facebook, tell me, <laughs> right? Or, or, or you've posted something. It's really clever. Oh, my kid said this, and you got to, right? And oh, I got to, are there any comments? Has anyone said anything? How many people like it, right? And and there's just this need for information. And And again, that's a, that's a fine thing. It's wonderful to be able to be connected to people and to communicate and all that's great. But, but do you ever have times where you get up and you're hungrier for that information on your phone or on your computer than you are for the God of the Bible? You hungrier for that? One pastor said that, this is pretty convicting, he said that one of the great uses of Twitter and Facebook will be at the last day to prove that our prayerlessness wasn't because we didn't have enough time. So we make time for the stuff you're hungry for. If your food is amusement, it's got to be, man, life is stressful and I just got to be entertained. And then, man, when the heat comes on and and, and you you will be quick to turn on the TV, quick to, I got to, right? And it's just, again, these things aren't bad. But if they replace a hunger for God, whew, scary. This is John Piper's point in his book, Hunger for God. It's a book about fasting. And here's what he says towards the beginning of it. He says, The greatest enemy of hunger for God is not poison, but apple pie. It's not the banquet of the wicked that dulls our appetite for heaven, but endless nibbling at the table of the world. It's not the X-rated video but the primetime dribble of triviality we drink in every night. For all the ill that Satan can do, when God describes what keeps us from the banquet table of his love, it's a piece of land, a yoke of oxen, and a wife. The greatest adversary of love to God is not his enemies, but his gifts. And the most deadly appetites are not for the poison of evil, but for the simple pleasures of earth. And for when these replace an appetite for God Himself, the idolatry is scarcely recognizable and almost incurable. The pleasures of this life are not evil in themselves. These are not vices. These are gifts of God. They are your basic meat and potatoes and coffee and gardening and reading and decorating and traveling and investing and TV watching and internet surfing and shopping and exercising and collecting and talking all of them can become deadly substitutes for God. You always feed on what your heart thinks is food. You always eat what you're hungry for. The question is, are you hungry for God? Are you hungry for God? Jesus lived a life of closeness to his father, of deep trust in his father because he was hungry for it. Are you hungry for God? Now here's the good news about uh, hunger and about appetites is that appetites can grow. They can also shrink, but, but they grow the more you feed them. Right? You eat a lot, your appetite grows you eat less, right? If you ever talk to somebody who, you know, maybe, maybe they were sick and they just weren't eating very much or, or they were trying to really just control their portion sizes or things like that, after a while they start to go, oh, I just, I just can't eat as much. My appetite has shrunk. And some of you, the reason why you'd say, my hunger for God is so low is because you've starved yourself. You come to church on Sunday and you have a big glass of orange juice and you don't eat anything the rest of the week. And your faith is weak. And temptation just blows you over easy. And You're worried and you're stressed. Why? Because you're not eating anything that feeds your faith. Are you hungry for God? I imagine a number of you, different kinds of people hearing this message. And this is always... For me, in preparing to preach, people will often ask, what's it like to be a preacher? One of the hardest things about being a preacher is you are all in totally different places, right? I have to, I have to prepare one thing that hopefully can apply to everyone. That, that, that's not easy, right? And, uh, and so I imagine a couple different kinds of people hearing a message like this and saying, hunger for God, draw close to God. So, so one type of person I, I think about is someone who goes, I don't really have any hunger for God, and I'm not sure I know what you're talking about. I don't have a relationship with God. I'm checking this out. I'm new to this. I'm exploring it. Or even, I, I feel skeptical. I don't, I don't believe this. And if that's you, if you're here and that's how you feel, welcome. I'm glad that you're here. And, and I want to address in just a moment. What, what I think the Lord would have for you. Others of you would be in a place where you go, I, I do have a hunger for God. I'm new to this, and it's a new hunger, and I, I really want the Lord, but I don't, honestly, I don't know what to do. I hear people talk about quiet time. I hear people talk about things. I don't need, I, where do I start? Help me. We'll talk to you. There's a third kind of person who, this is a kind of person who has a relationship with the Lord and at one time maybe really hungered after the Lord and spent time with God. and, and But but just over time, busyness and schedule and sleep and other things just kind of got in the way. And they, this is a person maybe you're feeling like, yeah, I really ought to spend more time with God. I really ought to read my Bible. I know. And I feel guilty. And uh, yeah, what do I? Right, so that's, that's, we'll talk to you. And then there's a third group or a fourth group of people. And those are these are uh, those who have a hunger for God and feed it and spend time with the Lord and, and read the Scripture and pray and, and therefore then have a growing relationship with God. So I'm going to just, for the sake of the rest of our conversation, that fourth group of people, great job, congratulations. We're not going to talk to you for the rest of the time. We're going to talk to this this first three, okay? And seriously, congratulations. I, I Would that... All of our church was in that category. And either way, there may be some things for you uh, to learn. But but first, for those of you who don't have a relationship with Jesus, and therefore for me to tell you to really commit yourself to Bible reading and things like that, you go, how can this grow a relationship I don't have? And so my invitation to you is to begin a relationship. Maybe even now there is in you a, a hunger growing for God. And, and that's no surprise because God put that there. Eternity is in the hearts of men, the scripture says. And, and Jesus came. And you know what Jesus called himself, interestingly, to fill our hunger? The bread of life. Jesus is the bread of life. And Jesus came to meet our deepest need and our deepest longing. Our deepest need is forgiveness. We have broken God's law. We have transgressed. He said, do this. We haven't done it. Love me with all your everything. Haven't done it. We've loved other things more than him. We've, that, that's what the Bible calls sin. And that sin has separated us from God. And you'll never be close to God unless something bridges that gap. And that's why Jesus came, the bread of life, to live perfectly in your place, full of the Holy Spirit, always doing what God said to then die on a cross to be the punishment for your sins so that if you would trust in him, you could be forgiven and then then raised from the dead to prove that he's victorious over all of it. Jesus, the bread of life, meets your deepest need. But he also satisfies your deepest longing. See, eternity in your heart means that you were created to be satisfied by a relationship with God. And there's a gap in your life, a hole in your heart, as Pascal called it, a philosopher. And, And you try to stuff all kinds of other things in to fill that, and it never gets filled. And here's the invitation of Scripture from Isaiah 55, one of my favorite passages. It says this Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And he who has no money, come, buy, and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread and your labor for that which does not satisfy? Do you get what he's saying? I got a free offer for you. It will satisfy you, it will fill you. And you're, instead, you're spending money on a bunch of stuff that never satisfies. Here's the invitation listen diligently to me, eat what is good, and delight yourselves in rich food. Incline your ear and come to me, hear that your soul may live, and I will make with you an everlasting covenant, my steadfast, sure love for David. Begin a relationship with Jesus Christ. Begin to trust him, and and he will give you a hunger for him. Perhaps you don't have that, and, and even to trust him feels difficult. So, Ask him for his help. There are people in the Bible, one guy encountered Jesus and said, Jesus, I, I believe, but help my unbelief. Maybe that's you. Then there's a second group of people, those of you who maybe you're newer in your faith and you have a real love for the Lord and you appreciate the forgiveness he's brought into your life and, and you don't see your relationship with God as just some get out of hell free card where you can live whatever you want. You, you want to grow in closeness to him. But you go, I don't know what to do. I I'm new. Help me. So for you, I want to introduce to you a practice that was introduced to me early in my life as a Christian um, called spiritual breathing. We're all familiar with breathing? You've been doing it, you know, for a while now. Let's, let's, uh, let's take some breaths together, okay? This will be fun. We're going to inhale. All right, big inhale. Ready? Exhale. One more time. Inhale. Exhale. Let's do it again. Inhale. You feel better, don't you? You didn't know you came to yoga at Redemption Gateway. Spiritual breathing is simply this. You inhale God's words and you exhale prayer. You inhale Bible. You exhale talking to the Lord. That's what it is. And every growing Christian does that. Inhale the scripture, exhale, talk to the Lord. Now listen, growing Christians do this different ways, right? So sometimes you'll talk to someone and they'll describe how they do it and it's like, oh man, I, I don't think I have that much time, right? Or, or I don't really like to do it that way or whatever. But, but here's the thing, you need to inhale, Bible, exhale, prayer. And it can be short and it can be simple, but you do this and you begin to feed your soul this way and you do more and you do more and your appetite for God over time begins to grow. This is the testimony of every growing Christian. I, um, in preparation for this, I sent an email to a number of people whose, uh, whose faith I admire. And I don't know what they do for their time with the Lord. I don't know what that looks like. I just know I see them and I see their character and I see their passion for the Lord and I go, I want to be like that. And I said, hey, will you um, tell me, what do you do? Like, what's your time with God look like? Not, what do you, not ideally, what does it actually look like? And I got back a number of responses. And, and the thing, a couple of things um, were interesting about it. One, they were very different. Some people, it was 20 minutes. Another person, two hours. Some people, it was two, three days a week of kind of devoted, significant time to this. A couple other people it was every day. Some people it was um, it, it was a couple days of reading, a couple days of praying and other things. Other people used the Bible reading plan. Some people didn't. Some people used music and loved to sing, and that was part of how they would pray to God. One person would color and draw as they prayed and kind of giving voice to that creative side. Um, Some people would have a very specific place in their home that they went. For one person, it was the shower. Um, and, And so there's a lot of different ways to practice spiritual breathing. But you know what they had in common? Inhaling the Bible, exhaling prayer. You will not grow in your hunger for God, in your trust in the Lord, without that. In college, I had the privilege of, by God's grace, helping lead a teammate of mine to, to faith in Christ. And, and uh, wanted to buy him a Bible. And, and so the guy who was discipling me came along and we bought a Bible and I wrote a note in there. And he said, hey, I got something for you to write in here. Um, for this guy in his new Bible. And so we re- I said, okay, tell me, what is this? And here's, here's what he told me to write. Either this book will keep you from sin or sin will keep you from this book. Dusty Bibles lead to dirty lives. That was it. That's, that's exactly right. So if you're new to this and you're hungry and you're just getting started, don't overcomplicate it. It doesn't have to be this extraordinarily long, deep process all the time. Sometimes, if it can be like that, it's great. Like I think of the example of um, my wife and I. We have a, a a really great relationship. We love each other, and we're great friends, and we get along, and 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 we experience a lot of oneness. And I just am so thankful for that, for her, and for that relationship. But but most of our life is like most of your life. We you know we talk throughout the day here and there, and we catch up at the end of the day, and we watch some TV, and we do different stuff like. This is 12 o'clock, so we can go long. So, can I tell you one of my favorite counseling appointments ever? Okay, I won't tell you who it was, but um, because if you ever want to talk to me, I don't want you to think, oh, they're going to, he's going to embarrass me. But I remember one time talking with this couple, and they were, you know, they were experiencing what a lot of us experience at different points, just kind of a breakdown in closeness and whatever. And and I remember the, the wife said, Here's what our night looks like every night. We put the kids down to bed. My husband goes and he watches TV. I go in the other room and I get on my computer and I catch up on email and I pay bills and I kind of get ready for the next day. I just feel like we don't have any closeness. Like, what do you and Molly do every night? Right, like, okay, now we're going to get the gold standard of, right? I said, well, we put the kids down and I go watch TV. (laughs) And she goes in the other room and catches up on email and pays bills and gets ready for the next day. And it was like, wah, wah, like that wasn't the answer they were hoping for. And and so, um, I don't even know why I told that story. What was I talking about? But but here's the thing. In 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 a great marriage, in a good marriage, there's constant talking. There's catching up. There's, right, there's relating. But not every day is date night. Right, So for Molly and I, we're, we're talking a lot through the day and throughout the week, but, but hopefully every week or two, every month, we have some extended time to have a date, to really catch up and to really invest in each other and to you know, not just kind of giving each other the leftovers, but giving the best, right? And we try to do that. But every day is not like that. You couldn't, you couldn't function if every day you had a date night. Life would not work, right? And, and, and so if you're trying to figure out, how do I get time with the Lord? Every day is not date night, but make sure you eat something every day. Make sure you spend some time with the Lord every day. Maybe it's in the shower, but spend time with the Lord every day. You need food every day, and you'll do it if you're hungry. Now there's the third group, and that's the group who knows all this. That's the group who has heard lots of sermons on why you should read the Bible and why you should pray, and and yet for whatever reason you still just don't. And maybe it's a source of guilt and a source of discouragement. You, go, ah, what do I do? And, and and so hopefully even some of the things that I've encouraged you with of going, to have some realistic expectations of this. But but let me just challenge you here. If you're in this spot where you you love the Lord but you're not drawing close to him and your hunger for him is stale or shrinking or gone. Listen, you need to recognize that you are in danger. You're in danger. The the God of the universe who is holy and righteous, who is a consuming fire, has given you his son Jesus to open up a way so that you can draw near to him, you can approach his throne with boldness and you say, I don't know. That's a dangerous place to be. Not dangerous like, well, God's going to get you. Not that. Meaning, your heart's drifting from him. Your heart's hardening, right? We don't stay neutral. We're growing closer to God or we're drifting. And if you know this and you know you should do it and there's just no hunger there and you're drifting, then repent of it. See it as not just a bad habit that you, you know, I've gotten into bad habits. No, see it as sin. It's sin that you have not hungered for the God who saved you. See it as sin. And turn from it. And begin to take a step. It doesn't have to be a huge step. It doesn't have to be a leap. But begin to take a step. Do something every day this week to grow that appetite. Pray, Lord, forgive me for my hard-heartedness. Forgive me for the way I'm drifting. God, I'm in danger here. I'm in danger to sin. I'm in danger to all kinds of temptation. I'm, I'm in danger of dishonoring your name. Forgive me and give me a hunger for you. Jesus drew near to his father because he was hungry to know him. And it's that hunger that will drive us to do the same. And as we do it, our trust in him will deepen, our relationship with him will grow, and our church will get strong. Let's pray. Father, thank you for um, the opportunity to know your word. God, what an amazing time in our lives that we can have a Bible. And God, I've got a dozen in my house and more on my phone and on my computer and access on the internet. And God, when I don't feel like reading your word, I can listen to it. and It's just amazing. And so God, um, forgive us for the times when we haven't hungered for you the way we should. And God, give us a new desire Give us a new passion. Give us a new heart to pursue you, God, so that step by step we could follow you. Oh God, you are my God, and I will ever praise you. I will seek you in the morning. I will learn to walk in your ways, and step by step you'll lead me. God, that's what we want to see you do. We pray in Jesus' great name amen amen well um, it seems appropriate that we would respond actually um, by a tangible way of declaring that we're hungry for God and that's what communion is Uh, communion is what we're going to do now there's elements here at the in the corners and there at the pole and these elements are bread and juice they're representing Jesus body and Jesus blood and and it just seems appropriate to me that, that what communion is is a statement of you're my true food Jesus you're my food I could go I can't go a day without you and so that's what this moment is about is just to remind you of that and so if you're here as a follower of Christ we want to invite you to celebrate communion if, if you're a child uh, then you need to clear this with your parents and follow their leadership and authority but if you're here as a follower of Christ we invite you to the table You can come and get these elements, and then you can return to your seat and pray, or you can gather with friends or family in the hallways and pray, but feed on Christ. If you are here and you're not a Christian, you just would say, I I don't really have any hunger for the Lord. We're so glad you're here. And I I hope that instead of getting up to take communion, that you would stay where you're at and, and pray and reflect and ask the Lord to give you a hunger to reveal himself to you. The band is also going to come, and they're going to lead us to sing. Uh, One of the ways that we breathe out is by singing. So we're going to breathe out some praise to the Lord and and remind ourselves of who He is. Finally, there's boxes in the back, those mailboxes, and you can drop your connection cards in there as you get up. Uh, You can also give in those boxes, and um, we're going to have a great time here of responding to the Lord together. So when your heart is prepared and you're ready, you're free to respond.